0: The opinions expressed on That's a Foul do not reflect the view of any organization to which the host or guest are affiliated or employed. Welcome to That's a Foul! On today's show, we have a guy who tells it like it is. My buddy Doug Turner was there for me at my lowest of lows. And even though we don't connect on the regular, when we get back together, we pick right up where we left off. Today we're going to talk fatherhood, the world of slightly better than beer league softball, the realty business, and how it all meshes into one. Let's do it! Sports are an integral part of my life, specifically officiating. I've met a lot of interesting people on deck and on the sidelines. From referees to evaluators, coaches to administrators, and players to fans, each one has a story to tell. And that's a foul. It's a place to tell it. Each episode, we'll dive into personal and professional lives to see what they can share to make us all a little better tomorrow. I'm Chad Packer, and this is That's a Foul. Welcome back. As always, I like to start with a little context of my relationships with our guests. Doug and I started playing softball around 1995 when I was 21. I was playing three to four nights a week and just about every weekend. The beer, man, it flowed like water. Our shoulders were like rocket launchers, and my knees were like those of the $6 million man. That's right, Steve Austin. Well, that's when Doug and I began our friendship. He and I played ball together off and on for about 20 years. Along with dropping bombs on the softball field, Doug is also my realtor. Between 2002 and 2005, he helped me sell a house, build a house, sell that house, And buy the house I'm in now. What's important to know is that between that last sell and the last buy, I went through a rather painful divorce. We'll dig into that a little bit later. In that intermediary of the last sell and the buying of the house I'm in now, I needed a place to stay. I was newly divorced and Maddie was about to turn three. Doug and his wife Sarah opened their house to Maddie and I. And we, along with our 110-pound German shepherd, Beasley, Moved in with them for about six weeks. I mean, who does that? Who opens up their house to that kind of tumult? Well, I'll tell you who. My friends, Doug and Sarah. Let's get to know Doug in quarter one. So, here we are. Here we in, are. In the basement studio. <laughs> donating all that to Goodwill, by the way. I just Some of it like that, that red
1: igloo cooler. That's probably been with you for a it was, while. was, of
0: course, the one that my dad... Uh, put all the sodas in When he mm-hmm. started the Princeton Aquatic Boosters When I was in high school They went to Sam's And they're like Well we could sell just drinks And then we could We can get chips And we can sell them up in the stands And then we can just kind of have a fund To help buy So he, he started He had It was a little ex- It wasn't Excel Because he was probably on the Apple IIe Or whatever But <laughs> I mean we're, we're, we're digging into the Into the early 90s But <laughs> it's really hard for me to part with that. I, so it's, I it's, can't it's, even imagine yeah. But all that is going to Doug, we're gonna we're gonna clean up the studio here, Doug.
1: I got a whole raft of stuff in my basement that make <laughs> you feel better about yourself. It's a lot more than that that I, I I have not I've not reached that point at which I'm ready to part with. So Yeah.
0: There's a longer burger basket though. Okay. They are not really even worth the wood that they're a part of.
1: They used to be. Gotcha. When you, you talk imagine? about timing the market. Timing yeah. the market. Yeah.
0: Right. Timing the you're a realtor. Nice. You know all about timing the market. Was that a
1: shameless plug? Heck yeah, no. it was, it was yeah. a shame. It was a shameless no, segue. No, we'll dig into that too.
0: <laughs> so we were just upstairs talking, you know, and mm-hmm. I'd see Heather and, and, and Jenna and and Maddie, and you know, I want to dig into that a little bit uh, today too. But uh, I do have my my skeleton plan up here. They say podcasters should have a skeleton plan so it doesn't wander all over. But that's what the edit button's for. The audience now, I think, might even be in four states. So we're really starting to really starting to grow exponentially. Right. Yeah. Most people are probably going to be local, but again there might be some, some some folks out there. So you and I both grew up in the in in the greater Cincinnati suburbs. Mm-hmm. You grew up in Forest Park, correct? Which is just I grew up in Springdale, which is a neighboring thing. I drove by St. Matthias the other day and I'm like god <laughs> yeah. that place used to be so big and now it's yeah. it's just a, it's a tiniest little church. I rode my bike
1: mentioned. through Forest Park the other day just in one of my travels and everything that seemed so big and so spread out took me about 3 minutes to cycle through and mom's house and yeah. her yard that uh, you know we'd play endless hours of sandlot ball and yeah. it's like wow i remember it used to be a challenge to hit the ball over the shrubs and now it'd be like a check swing you know <laughs> it's like you know the, the things that were once your everest are now so small
0: i think it's funny because when i see houses for sale or neighborhoods or wherever, the first i don't know why i mean i'm 45 years old but the the, the first thing i go to is Wonder if you could play wiffle ball. In the, oh, <laughs> if you got rid of that tree, you could play wiffle ball for days. That so you would, you yeah. said you were you were growing. Up. I mean, do you even do you even see kids out? In the, you you drive neighborhoods a lot for sure, all the time. Do you see kids out doing what you and I did when we were kids?
1: Not as much. I don't see kids playing pickup ball. And funny, we even mentioned that because just the other night, uh, July Fourth, we're just screwing around out front. My daughter had her friend over and they're tossing those little white caps those little things sure. that, yeah, yeah the they're bang like snaps that's it that's yeah, it yeah.
0: lots of lots of sawdust in there uh,
1: that and lots of shrapnel everywhere and <laughs> and uh so Emily goes here dad and she threw one to me and I caught it and I said I wonder what would happen if you hit that with a wiffle ball bat so she goes and gets the wiffle ball and the bat uh, out of the basement so Sam and Emily and I are just <laughs> goofing around and all of a sudden it's like the two kids from next door come over, and their parents come over, and then the, the kid across the street who, you know, he's had some troubles in his life, and he's he's back at home in his late 20s, and, you know, he's made some bad choices, but he's owning them up, owning up to him. But anyway, adult kid comes over that I've known since he was 12, and all of a sudden there's this pickup game in the cul-de-sac, w- Wiffle Ball, just... And my buddy June, you know June George Wells. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he had come over to to visit, and we're we're just and there's like eight nine people, and there's parents, and then the kid who's had a checkered past across the street, and an African American yeah. cop, and two kids, and two little kids, and parents, and it's like the culmination of my youth right there happening in in my cul-de-sac. So uh, no, it doesn't happen a lot, but it's like there it is. And we used to do that, and I even shared with the parents that my back Sarah and I are both the youngest in both of our families. Okay. So whenever we'd have backyard parties at our old house with the pool and the deck and the acre, all the adults are up up on the deck doing the adult stuff, talking about adult stuff. And I'm like, screw that. I'm, I'm, I'm playing wiffle ball with the kids. Um, and once again, for the unknowing audience, that sounds really creepy. Um <laughs> But I had a spot in my backyard where if you buy the 100-foot roll of orange construction fence from Lowe's or Home Depot and you buy the 8-foot tomato stakes, you cut them in half at an angle, those become (laughs) the stakes that you can drive in. And a 100-foot long construction fence makes a perfect 60-foot home run fence, which is almost the ideal length for hitting a home run with some effort, but it's not unattainable even for little kids. Nice. And I and I would cut the <laughs> cut the foul lines a couple settings shorter on the lawnmower, and I got survey surveyors paint like you know the, yeah. the, the orange yeah. spray paint and yeah. I paint foul lines and, yeah I miss I miss that yard I don't miss the house but I miss that yard because that was that was the epicenter of like every family gathering because we had we had the house with the pool and an acre and our Sarah's whole family could come over and we'd play wiffle ball till dark and then it got dark and we'd use the glow in the dark balls and yeah uh, it was awesome.
0: So you guys are foster parents for dogs. I don't know how you do that. Dog.
1: You know, it's a special uh, special kind of relationship that the first time we fostered, uh, we had had Wally, and we got him in August. We fostered in like December, November, actually. And I told him, she was she was not quite five. We are preparing this dog for her new home. She's mm. not ours. We're just keeping her for somebody else. So who are we keeping her for? We don't know yet. But that was, that was the, that was the foundation. And, um, you know, going into it with that mindset. Now, Sarah is my leveling influence because if it weren't for Sarah, I'd probably have 20 dogs and a bunch of cars, a couple (laughs) more motorcycles and no money. Um, but she's always the one. We don't need another dog. We don't need another dog. So when we fostered Mikey, I always go in, I mean, there's, there's some, there's some dogs. It's like, my God, I can't believe we let that dog go. And there's two in particular. It's like, man, those are the ones that got away. Um, So we were going to foster and there's these dogs coming off the track. Yeah. So Brenda, uh, she runs the adoption group. She sent the picture of the four dogs coming off the track. And Sarah goes, and we knew that the dog we were going to foster was named Tyler. And she saw Mikey's face and she was like, oh my God, I hope that's not Tyler. I said, why? She's like, I don't know if I could part with that face. It wasn't Tyler. It was Mikey. So we went to Brenda's to meet the four (laughs) dogs that were available for fostering. And she said, well, this is Tyler. And it just, he was a good dog, but it just, Sarah and Mikey just, she, 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 he had her at hello. And, uh, she just, he, he's, he's got a very pretty face. He's a very sweet dog. So there's that he was a good looking dog. But then like that night we brought him into the house and, uh, she was doing laundry or something and she went into her closet and she sat down, Mikey wandered in there and he (sighs) laid down and put his head in her lap and, and they both fell asleep. And that was like that, that. So the next morning she's like, "We're gonna keep Mikey," and I'm like, "Oh, coach, hold up, is this a trick? Because, because I'm the one that I could keep them all, but I know I'm not going to. She's the one that we don't need another dog. So when I, I thought it was a trap, it's like, "We're gonna keep Mikey." I was like, oh, "Okay, cool. That's hold up. You're not playing with me, are you?" So that's how we adopted Mikey. We we officially ado- the official adoption date was March 4th of that year, five uh-huh. years ago, uh-huh. uh, which was my mom's birthday. My mom was a big dog person, so even though. She knew several days ahead. We filled out the paperwork and dated it March 4th. as was kind of like paying sure. homage to my mom. Nice. Yep. That's Mikey. He was, uh then we got two more since then. Yeah. So.
0: Who is, I can't rub a dog's butt without thinking of Goldie. Goldie and how you used to just rub Goldie's butt. Like, so every time like I meet a dog and I just, we were down on the beach in, in Hilton oh, so head and Hilton had this dog came over. She was an older dog and I was yeah. just rubbing her, rubbing her butt. Like you used to rub Goldie's butt in the, and then the dog just kind of sat down next to me and the lady's like, come over here. And he's just kind of, he got up and he went over and then he came wandering back and I rubbed his butt like, God, that was so funny.
1: Now, did she ever do, Goldie invented twerking before it was a thing. If you'd <laughs> stop rubbing her butt, she'd kind of put her butt on you and start rubbing it like on the chair. Did she do that to you? Yeah, for sure. We we joked that Goldie invented twerking before it was a thing and she'd start shaking her little butt trying to get you to scratch it. or
0: Nice. So these are these are greyhounds. Your, your Goldie favorite. was not right. Goldie but, wasn't. But, but we you, now greyhounds. you, because I don't know that you had a, a greyhound when I was there. I
1: actually we didn't. I actually asked you when we applied to adopt a greyhound. I needed three references that okay. were not family members, and okay. I asked you because you lived with us. Sure, you knew how we regarded our dogs, and I said, "Hey, man, would you mind? You know, if I put you down as a reference?" And so you were you were one of the nice. three. That, that vouched for us, and that's how we adopted Wally back in 2009. Yeah, 2009.
0: What's the name of the adoption group? Group.
1: It is the Greyhound Adoption of Greater Cincinnati. Okay. G A G C.
0: All right. Quarter two has us listening to Doug tell us how he got into realty, the life lessons he applies to that job, and the importance of being true to your own moral compass. How did you get into realty? I know I think it was X Tech. You were at X Tech?
1: Fujitech, very cool. Fujitech. Yep.
0: Well then who was at X Tech? Brad Alves, I believe. That's who it was. Brad Alvis. That's Alves. right. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Another another softball player. Yeah. So you were at Fuji Tech doing engineering yes. type stuff. Yep, and was... then you, you found yourself into the world of
1: Realty. Eventually. Yeah. yeah, there's there's a chapter missing, uh, but great memory though Fujitech Yeah, that was my first my first job out of college as an engineer, wet behind the ears, thinking I was going to change the world, and uh, then I realized I was just a small tooth in the cog of a bigger machine, and <laughs> uh, enjoyed what I did there. But after 17 months, um, it was like time to make the donuts. Same thing every day, okay. <laughs> um, and I real yeah. So I, I did change jobs in '96, which was a little scary uh fujitech had offered me the opportunity to go to and talking about california to offered me a position in la as uh, one of the sales team out in the los angeles market and sarah and i were just engaged we weren't married but you know i'd never lived on my own um my brother moved out got married and i, I was more helping my mom than living at home um i was on the verge of needing to make a decision whatever it was i was not going to be in lebanon at fujitech anymore and uh, i went to a company called rotex i had interviewed with them i spent three and a half years with them as an application engineer they made industrial sifting equipment they patented or trademarked the name screener Uh, but i was an application engineer which was a fascinating move for me because about every six to eight weeks i would travel with our sales reps and see our our machines in different installations I mean, I was twenty-two hundred feet down in a salt mine in in the Finger Lakes of region of New York at a wow. at a Cargill salt mine, seeing these big, you know, fifteen, you know, fifty, what was it, seven seven feet by fifteen feet? These massive screeners, just screening salt, screening yeah. out the impurities and the big chunks out of salt, okay. and uh, and anyway, so that was a great job. I I loved what I did, but after three and a half years, the old guard started retiring, okay. and Newer management came into place, and it was no longer, you know, the fifty-something guys' business on a handshake. Where do you want to go to lunch? It was us and them, and it was very corporate. And there was like that invisible wall. And I stopped enjoying who I did it for. So I was ripe for a change. And uh, funny about relationships and connections you make, and, and everything. Um, I'm, I'm realizing now as I hear myself talk, I'm taking the long way to get there, which is kind of my superpower. <laughs> yes, but uh, It is. But uh, I had met a fella. Uh, you just, you, this is this is where I'm going to segue because you're asking me one question. I'm giving you three answers. Wherever, wherever you are in life, you can look at a very thin line. Hmm. And if anywhere along that line something severed it, you'd be in a different spot. So you sure. never know the decisions you make years ago, how they're going to manifest. What I mean by that is my wife and I were together, but we weren't married. And she wanted to go to her five-year high school reunion. So we're back in 94. And we went to her fifth-year reunion. And, you know, when you're not the graduate... You're doing what what the tagalongs do. Hey, i Doug. What's your name? Oh yeah. What do you do? Oh, I'm a real estate agent. Oh, cool. What do you do? I just graduated. I'm an I'm an engineer. Oh, great. You know, so this fellow named John and I just made a connection and we talk and we get to know each other. And uh, he was the husband of one of Sarah's good friends. And uh, we end up getting together socially a few months later, whatever. And then that 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 kind of petered out. You go back to life as usual. Fast forward five years, ten year reunion. Now it's 99. And Sarah's like, yeah, you know, I graduated from Reading. I still see most of these people all the time. Why? Why are we going to go to this? Let's let's do something else. Let's go to a dinner and a movie. I said, hey babe, it's it's your reunion. We'll do whatever you want. At the last minute, we pull the trigger. We decide to go to her reunion. So who do I see? I see that same fellow I connected with five years ago, and that's 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 my <laughs> lifesaver. That's that's my life vest in yeah, in, right? in the open water. <laughs> that's my like, dude. That's, what that's my, to my boy. <laughs> So I was like, hey, your name's John, right? Because it's like, God, I'm in a sea of people. And then she goes off and does her thing, which is what she's supposed to do. Right, and I'm, right. I'm not going to be her anchor and ruin her fun. So we sit there and start shooting the shit. And uh, you know, you're know, you a realtor, right? Yeah. How's it going? Oh, man, it's great, man. Business is booming. And who do you work for? Yeah, I work for my dad. He owns this company. And, man, we're looking to expand. Business is booming. I mean, we got so much going on. We're turning business away. You don't know anybody that would like a job, would you? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> You know, mentally, I'm going, huh. And at the time, I didn't realize, boy, is this going to be one of those conversations that sends my life down a completely different path? But 20 some odd years later, in hindsight, it was. It was exactly that. And I didn't even know it. So I said, I don't don't know. Keep talking. Because engineering to real estate, that's just about as quantum of a leap as as somebody could make. Sure. Um, That was the catalyst that three weeks later, I quit my job. Wow. I mean, I left a career that I had spent five years in school building and okay. four and a half, five years in the in the field because that tells you how 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 unhappy I was. Mm. And uh, you know, when we bought our first house, we made a conscious decision that should something happen to either one of our incomes, we we could make it. And I gave myself a year. And it's like, okay, if at this time next year I can't replace my income. If I don't have some indication that I'm going to be successful, I've got a degree, I've got five years of experience outside of school, and three years of co-op. I'll land on my feet. Yeah. And no kids, modest mortgage. Right. It was just the two of us. And if I fell flat on my face, I'd lick my wounds, I'd admit defeat, and I'd I'd suck it up and move on. Long answer getting longer.
0: That's great. (laughs) So, So do you do you watch Modern Family?
1: Uh, I don't. I've, I've uh, but I've been told uh, the, the main character is a real estate yeah. agent, right? Yeah, Phil Dunphy. Phil Dunphy. There's a friend of mine that says not o- not only is that a parallel, but he he, he seems to think I bear a, a, at least a strong enough resemblance to the guy. I do tall, dark hair, you know, yeah. st- stunningly handsome. <clears throat> Excuse yeah, me, indeed. I'm indeed. just kidding.
0: <laughs> well, what's what's funny about that is you know I I don't know <clears throat> if this is the case, but one of the things I admire about you and I, I don't know if it's because you're a realtor, I think it probably has something to do with it. You are one of the most ethical morally centered dudes that i know
1: i think as a whole yes we we as realtors are bound with professional ethics there's canons of ethics and there's a code of ethics and they're related but they're different um the canon of ethics uh that's like kind of the global thing the code of ethics is is more basically it's the golden rule i mean you know It comes down to treat people like you'd want to be treated. Mm. And everybody it's like everybody knows that car salesman. Everybody knows that attorney. Everybody knows that realtor. Everybody knows a slimy guy. Uh, In an anonymous survey of what people think about certain professions, we're ranked right there with used car salesmen and attorneys. No offense to those who are listening who are attorneys and car salesmen. Um, One of these (laughs) days I'm going to have an attorney or a car salesman as my client. They're not going to like that reference. But at the end of the day, I got to respect myself. I got to respect the guy looking back at me in the mirror the next day. Um, and I just think that's more of my upbringing and more of who I am than what I do. But again, what I tell people is who I am is what I do and what I do is who I am. And you get me. Wow. And I've tried to be consistent, whether I'm the guy cutting grass, playing wiffle ball in the cul-de-sac, the guy on the ball field. And you've seen the good, bad, and the ugly of that guy. Yeah. And I tell people I'm not perfect. I try yeah. to keep a lot of juggling balls up in the air and I'm going to drop one. And I hope I don't drop a big one and I hope I don't drop one that, that means something, you know, I hope there's something I don't drop that, that I can't fix. But yeah, I mean, there's, um, I, I do hold myself to a pretty high standard, but that's just personally and the professional just kind of rolls out of that. Yeah. But thank you again for the compliment. uh, You always wonder, you never really know how people regard you until they open up like you have. And I, I kind of knew that because we've had these kind of conversations before, but coming from someone for whom I have a tremendous amount of respect, it's nice to know that's, that's mutual. So thank you again.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That just think about <laughs> we met for breakfast at first watch and we were at two 47 year old guys, we're just blubbering. Like, I mean, just the <laughs> the tears are flowing. It was, I was great. That stuff, that stuff really fills my bucket though. It does. You know,
1: that, that does me as well. Cause I, I don't have a lot of, uh, I don't have a lot of guys that I can get into deep, meaningful stuff with, because I think guys just by nature have their walls up, and, sure. and they don't like letting them down. I don't think I don't think we like showing our vulnerable side, except for you know for, and that goes back to the caveman mentality. You know, beating right. our chest, we're the provider. Right. <laughs> but uh, there's those two or three people that you go, you know what? I need to fill my bucket. to Steal yeah. your line. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give so and so a call. So
0: nice. I used to think <laughs> that what you did influence refereeing and now I recognize that refereeing influences what you did. Hmm. Okay. You know? So now that you uh, so you've been a realtor through several different phases of your life. Oh yeah. Does that bleed into the phase you're in or does the phase you're in bleed into realty? For instance, wow. now that you are a parent mm-hmm. of a teenager mm-hmm. who like mine Pretty much wakes up after after the Price Is Right is over, in the
1: summer. Yeah, <laughs> in the summer, right?
0: <laughs> but now that now that you're a parent, how does that it d- does that affect you being a realtor, or does that code and canon of ethics affect you being a parent more? Like, which one do you find being hmm. the influencer of the other? I don't know if well, you've thought much about that, but
1: I haven't really gone down that rabbit hole too much. But um, that's an interesting one to consider. Uh I, I think the continuity of who I am, you know, whether I'm parent guy or realtor guy or, you know, guy on the bike, whatever, I, I still think the ethics and the the moral compass points in the same direction, but um I'm not really sure even how to answer that, except that uh it has been neat for Emily to to grow up with a parent in the house that has that flexible schedule. Yeah. That, you know, hey, chase your own dream. You know, you don't have to, you don't have to do this, that, or the other. If you get knee deep in a career, make a change before it's, you know, too late uh, and too late. Meaning you've got a house, you got a family and you're tied to that paycheck. Cause I worked with guys at Rotex that, you know, they're in their mid forties. I got a house, two kids and they, they were experiencing the same things I were, but they were invested. Mm-hmm. They worked there. They didn't get their degree, but they had all the knowledge base of an engineer, but they can't go out and get another engineering job because they don't have the degree but they were they were regarded as that at the company in which they worked so um i I, i'm not really too sure which one would govern the most but i but i think i think just in general the way i try to live my life and follow that moral compass that that inner moral compass that you know what's right and wrong i think that that governs all whether it's i'm dad or realtor and i've tried to instill that in him that um you know, you, you will know right here for mm. those listening, they're, they're not, they, sure. they can't see I'm kind of grabbing the area right beneath my heart and the gut. You'll know in your gut if something's right or wrong. And, and I'm not naive enough to think she's not going to make mistakes. And boy, did I ever, but you're going to know, you're going to know when you're, you're going down a path that, that you're making a mistake and hopefully, you know, you, they're not big ones and you can learn from them because I've learned a lot from my mistakes.
0: In quarter three, Doug and I dig into his triathlon training the enjoyment of playing on a softball team and then doug brings us home by telling us how softball and grace brought his dad back into his life i like having things revolve around sports just because i think the analogies are endless you absolutely know? so my brother 100%. plays he plays tennis and they call their own lines i mean you know in yeah. out you whatever have to. whatever yeah you have I, to i,
1: I dabbled in that for a summer before i realized i was mediocre at best <laughs>
0: <laughs> and uh, we went and watched Maddie's friend, Faith. She's a graduated from, from West. And, you know, I, I even had the conversation with her, like, what happens if people start calling it out when it isn't out and everybody knows it's out? Said, well, you can call the coaches over and they can kind of watch or whatever. But in the end, you know, my words, not hers. But in the end, there's nothing really you can do about it, you know. That's just kind of a, a very poor segue into into sports being life and Kind of getting the big the big picture of it. It's funny, you were talking about, you know, you, you've seen the good, bad, and the ugly. The personas that we wear sometimes. I mean, I'm a different guy here yeah. than I was on the side. I mean, there were times on the softball fair where I was ready to throw down because I had that softball mentality. You know, softball we were. Softball guy. Softball Jim Rome. Dude, I was a softball guy. I mean, I you <laughs> no, know you like, weren't. You, well, might
1: have, you might have had some traits. You weren't the quintessential <laughs> softball guy. I
0: wasn't, you know, I mean, I didn't have all the gear and I never wore the Oakleys and <laughs> stuff like that. But I kind of remember being able to be. Between the lines, as they say, and be softball guy. Like mm-hmm. Yeah, let's go to war. And then seven innings later, yeah, I'll buy that guy a beer. I mean, I was ready to fight him when he when he you know went in spikes high yeah. on Cooter, turning the double play. Yeah. Now, oh man, he he needs a dollar to, you know, buy his kid a pack of sweet tarts over. Yeah, man, here's a <laughs> buck, you know. Because I was able to separate those. Yeah. You've got a, a pretty interesting athletic career if if nothing else, how you I mean, we can we can talk about softball too, but you know how you got into into triathlons. Yeah. How did you get into triathlons? I mean, what? Well, and when that transition was kind of sort of after softball, though, right? Was uh, it? it was during.
1: Okay. It was a little bit during. Okay. I um, I was always the chubby kid, believe it or not, and but baseball was my thing, man. That that lit my fire, uh-huh. and you could always find a pickup game, and and it was also an outlet for a lot of other things we may get into later, but. I found it much easier to be able to stay in shape as I got older and became an adult. If I had a dart on the dart board, something to train for. Okay. So softball, it's like the thing I loved about that is I, I think you'll let yourself down or I'll let myself down faster than I'll let nine other guys down. Okay. Like, yeah. you know, hey, man, I got, you know, I ought to go run five miles to an asker, and I'm going to lay down and watch the ball game. Hmm. Oh, I got a ball game at seven. I got nine guys waiting on me. I'm going to show up there at 645 and be ready to play right. ball. Right. I I always kept fitness, you know, once I, once I got older and, you know, I I was the chubby kid till like freshman year in high school and all of a sudden nature took over. I grew several inches and I started actually training for baseball, dropped 30 pounds. And all of a sudden I wasn't the dorky kids that dorky kid that was fat and wore braces and carried a briefcase, brought that one on myself um briefcase awesome hard, was, hard or soft shell it was a soft shell it was okay. actually an amway briefcase that my mom had had back in the 70s and uh yeah i yeah, I, I, I i deserved <laughs> most of the pummelings i received as a result of that shit so running kind of became an outlet okay i ran for the first time running was oh my god the fat kid what fat kid likes to run right but conditioning for baseball my freshman year that's when it was like this is serious i'm not gonna play ball to get in shape i gotta get in shape to play ball
0: Oh sure,
1: and that forced me for the fr- and then I then it's like man, all of a sudden the baby fat shed off and I sprouted up a couple inches that spring and to the point where teachers were asking me if I was sick. Wow, and it's like no, I'm not sick. I just you know finally I'm kind of coming into my own, and I, I developed a, a, a joy of running and then I ran cross country the next year, and then I got into marathons in my mid twenties and so triathlon became an offshoot of that. It's like again, mm-hmm. what's your Everest? Well, it was to run a marathon, and I did that in '97. Um, everybody joked when I got married in 97. Oh, you're going to stop playing ball. You're going to get fat. You know, <laughs> you're going to do what every married guy does. And I'm like, no, I'm not. And here's why I'm going to train for a marathon with Sarah's blessing. And, uh, you know, ran, ran a marathon and, that, and ran a few more. And then, you know, life took over and you changed careers. And then that became my focus. But in my mid 40s or in my, in my 40s, uh, my new Everest became an Ironman. And it's like, you know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Well, how do you do an Ironman? Well, let's let's do one of the little short races. And I remember talking to you.
0: And
1: for those listening, you can't see the guy across from me. but I don't know if you remember, but I I was like, I, I hadn't plugged into a community. I hadn't plugged into a triathlon club. It's like, I wanted to do this and I don't know how to do it. And I don't know how to swim. If I fell in a body of water, I could dog paddle the hell out of it and save my life. If I, you know, <laughs> I could jump off a diving board and dog paddle to the, whatever I could, I was not completely inept in the water, but I had no kind of a smooth, yeah. efficient stroke. So I asked you, you're like, Hey man, I'm going to the Princeton pool tomorrow. I'll pick you up at 5am you in. And I'm like, there's the gauntlet. I'm either serious about this or I'm not. So you came over sure as anything. You rolled up my driveway about 5am. We went over to the, till
0: I totally forgot about this. You, I do remember that.
1: And uh, I swam like two laps. I was hyperventilating. I had no idea how to get my breathing down. And I literally looked like looked like that little wind-up guy you'd drop in a pool and and he would swim until the little wind-up spring wore out and then he stopped. And it's like, God, and you guys are doing your workouts and you got your clocks and you got your things about, you know, what sets you're doing. And I'm like, oh, my God, you've forgotten more about swimming than I'll ever know. And I'm like, man, I've got so much to learn. And that was like November, December okay. of 2009. And I had already put a half Ironman on my dartboard for July of 2010. I'd already wow. registered and everything. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh shit. Cause you've got to get the swim done before yeah. you do It's Swim bike run. Not sure. I'm going to skip the swim and bike run. So, uh, that was it. It started with a desire to do something big. And, you know, in our forties, I think we all start to face our, ma- our own mortality and yeah. what am I going to do? And I want to do something great. And you know, that, that whole thing. So it really wasn't my midlife crisis, but, uh, that that was it. That was that was the driving force. That you know what I, I remember watching on Wide World of Sports these nutcases out in Hawaii doing yeah. this thing called an Iron Man. I'm going to do one of those. Yeah. And be careful what you project out to the universe, because you know if you've read the book The Secret and stuff like that, and Secrets of the Millionaire Mind, the stuff that you profess verbally or otherwise, if you if, that that'll come back. If you re, if you really if you really intend upon that, be careful what you speak out. I don't understand how it works. I just know that it works. Yeah. There's all kinds of ways I could go with that. But you asked me a direct question. I did anything to give you a direct answer. That's how I got into triathlon. I wanted to do something big and uh, it kept me in shape and it, it conflicted with, but it also tied in with, with softball because it was at the same time, but you know, getting in better shape made me a better ball player.
0: Yeah. Do you have something from that that maybe like if someone would say, so you played ball for a while, you said you played it for a while. Yeah. You know, what's a, what
1: was that like? What was that like? There's a lot of chapters in that book. Yeah, but I think the overriding one, if if as you were asking the question, I was like, boy, what am I going to say to this? And it's probably something you heard me say when I, I when when you played uh, with us. And it's like, hey, man, here's my philosophy on softball. Most of us, we're in a certain age group where yeah. we've got jobs. Most of us have houses. Some yeah. of us have kids. We got responsibilities. We got to be an adult. Yeah. The rest of our lives, but for an yeah. hour or so, a couple or three times a week, we get to be a kid. Yeah,
0: I remember. I know Le- where you're going. Leave
1: with this. that shit outside the lines. <laughs> right. Everybody brings baggage, sure, and, and everybody deals with baggage differently. And everybody, some of these bags are bigger than others. But it's like, man, we are young enough, healthy enough, free enough, fortunate enough, wealth, whatever. We're whatever. We're enough to have the privilege of playing ball and being a kid. Yeah. for an hour or so. Don't 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 mess that up. Yeah, you know, appreciate it for what it is. Don't mess it up for you, for me, for the other team. And I think that that's. That's probably what I miss the most. Yeah. I, I don't I don't know that I miss playing ball. Right. As much as I miss the feeling I had when I played ball. Because yeah. I again I was wow. accountable to the nine or ten or eleven or however many guys we had on the bench and with whether we had one or two AHs or whatever, but I miss that I still had the excitement. I still had the little kid excitement like. I'd even get up on game day. It's like, I got these appointments and this appointment. But I get, man, our game's at 7.30 and 9.30, and it's going to be cool. And, um, you know, toward the the end of my career, I only played with career, like it was something big. Toward the end of my playing days, yeah, my dad would come. Yeah. Which was kind of neat because dad didn't make a lot of the Little League games, and there were multiple reasons for that. You know, dad's career and friction between my mom and my dad and whatever else. But, you know, that was my dad's and my time. And it was cool because we kind of captured something we never really had, which Mm -hmm. was just some father son time and he'd come and watch it, watch play ball. And then between, and you guys, you guys collectively embraced him like the team dad. Sure. Which was really cool too. Yeah. Uh, You know, uh, at the time there was you and Mark and Cooter and Merrill and I'm probably forgetting, I'm not trying to, but uh, you know, everybody, if dad missed a game, Hey man, where's your dad tonight? And that, that made me feel good despite the strained relationship we had. Those mm-hmm. are the things I miss about, you know, the feeling I had when I was playing.
0: You and your dad have a really cool relationship. I know he had the, the fold-out chair. He had the, the cool fabric weave-through <laughs> chair, you know what I mean? <laughs> the
1: the old, 60s era. The old school thing, oh you know. My God. with my yes, his, he did.
0: Which is, which is fantastic. But I remember he, he would come, and I, I think that's probably why a lot of us men enjoyed having him around because I think as you get older, you recognize what your dad means to you. As a guy, yeah. I can't I yeah. mean I love my mom. I know what my mom means to me, but yeah. I think dads and sons have an incredibly unique relationship. How did that get back together and what are some things that you focus wow. on as a you know again it's it's kind of an open mic and we yeah. can go as long as we want because nope, we'll, a... we'll we'll dig into dads and daughters too but yeah. here's where we're digging in
1: that's uh that that's a big one because um boy, it's been a rocky relationship
0: uh-huh.
1: my folks split up when I was six months old. Divorce was official when I was two. My brother being 10 years older than I took the brunt of that, you know, Mm. that broken home thing, which my dad still bristles at that term. And I'm like, what would you call it when you left the family for your secretary? There it is. I said it unapologetically. It's a fact. Uh, I carried on an affair with my mom's best friend for seven years and then married her. And the marriage lasted 18 months because the thrill of the affair was greater than the relationship. Mm. And again, there it is. I said it. I ripped the Band-Aid off. That is the jumping off point for the whole rest of it. You wouldn't talk to my mom very long in any setting before you know the divorce and some of the things came up and uh, she never got over it never dated never her her mission when that happened was to raise her two boys and my dad you know after that divorce um dad was dad was never alone he always had somebody there either you know somebody he was bringing along uh somebody he was married to um which there was the friction, you know, my mom to come to my ball games, you know, he'd bring his wife. Of course he'd bring his wife. How are you going to come to your son's ball game and not bring your wife? As an adult, I get that they would sit on like the other team sidelines and it, you know, so I have mad respect for divorced couples that still make things work that I see as an adult that still make things work and can still be peaceable, like go to their kids' weddings and go to their kids graduate. Cause I, I didn't have that. So it was always a strange relationship. Um, But, you know, dad and I have had had bouts where we just didn't speak. But on his 75th birthday, my daughter was two and it had been 10 years I hadn't talked to my dad. And this little voice inside my head went, look here, dickhead. Your dad, whatever he's done or not done or whatever he's been or not been, that's the only dad you're ever going to have. And you need to reach out. And I, I didn't know if that was like psychic, like my dad's going to die soon or whatever. That was 13 years ago. Uh, but Emily deserved to know her grandfather. Mm. And she was two, uh, just, just turned two. Um, and and then that, that, that Band-Aid needed to be put on the wound. So that kind of became the jumping off point for, I think my dad also wanted to recapture some of the things that he had forfeited. You know, that's why he came to my games. He's retired now. He doesn't have a career to chase. He did own his own business, but it wasn't a travel the world 60 hour a week thing he he could set his own hours um yeah so that i mean it was kind of neat that that wow this is what it could have been like when i was nine playing sandlot sure. ball sure you know there's dad in the stands but uh to steal one of your words you used ages ago it's a watershed moment when you realize you start viewing your parents as somebody vulnerable as somebody maybe feeble mm-hmm. that used to be a rock yeah. that used to be bigger than life and it's like shit dad was 75 and all of a sudden I viewed him as there's my dad he's an old man versus oh that's my old man Ah. you know it's like oh my god you know father time it doesn't spare any of us there's some people that would give up anything to have their dad back in any capacity even if he's yelling at him even if there's a divorce even if there's friction because to have that one last conversation and I've got that I've got that
0: The fourth quarter. Fourth uh, quarter. Rapid fire questions. Yes. Uh, They will come quickly. You can be as long winded as you want. (laughs) Are you ready?
1: I'm ready. Okay.
0: You ride motorcycles. Mm -hmm. Are you a left side of the lane or a right side of the lane? A right
1: side of the lane guy. I want as much distance between me and the oncoming traffic as possible.
0: Okay. I'm finding that more with um, cell phone usage. I'm I'm generally a left side of the lane guy mm-hmm. because it gives you more room to go right. Uh-huh. But now that you've got people crossing the double yellow. That's why. I know. That, I need, that's I need why. To maybe, I'm
1: there. Do you still ride? I do. Nice. Not as often as, you know, it's just like any other luxury or novelty when you have responsibilities and yeah. things that take you away from recreation. But just rode with June last week, as a matter of fact. So, nice. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. All right.
0: You? Uh, yeah, we got it We got it fixed. Uh, okay. Again, when the girls were in that age range that Emily is, yeah. uh, it just became harder to do it. But yeah. now we've got a little bit more time. Yeah. So, yeah. Good. M,
1: M rode with me, uh, nice. with June and me a couple weeks ago. We, it was a long ride. It wasn't yeah. just down to Skyline and back. We, we rode out to Brookville. Ooh. Uh, so it was back roads, country roads. Yeah, and then we took 74 to back home, which was a little scary, having M on the back. But
0: Favorite pizza joint to take the family to? Wow! Local, probably, but
1: hmm. the newest—the newest favorite. This answer would have been different two years ago. Raymond's up in Liberty Township.
0: Hey, I got tickets to a UC basketball game, mm-hmm. a Reds game, Bengals game, and Cyclones. They're all fantastic tickets, Doug. Which ones do you want? Reds, please. <laughs> if you could win a gold medal in any event at the Summer Olympics, which would you choose? Wow,
1: the Summer Olympics. Or mm-hmm. you could
0: go Winter. You no, just tell no. me.
1: I was gonna say. Me now or me anytime in my life?
0: Anytime if you want. It's, it's really your game.
1: Baseball. I, I, but baseball is no longer an Olympic sport. Okay. It, it, it debuted in 88. And I, I remember thinking as a. Whatever-year-old kid, when I heard it, that baseball was going to be an Olympic sport, I was like, I could make the 88 team, you know, delusions of grandeur, realizing, you know, like the Barry Larkins of the world would have played on that team. Yeah, if I yeah, just that, go out and
0: hit yeah, more every yeah, night. Yeah,
1: if I just hit the weights and I wasn't the little fat kid in the neighborhood, I could have made it. I could have been a contender. I could have been a contender. <laughs> yep, baseball would have been it.
0: What are your thoughts on beef jerky as a viable snack?
1: Uh, I'm, overall i'm for it but as expensive as it's gotten recently nice. it's not a staple in my pantry
0: yeah peppered or traditional or teriyaki
1: i like them all but mm-hmm. if i had to che- if you backed me into a corner and said i'm not letting you out until you take one i'd mm-hmm. probably go with the, just the 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 generic just okay. the plain old plain old okay can you give
0: us a realtor summary of the basement studio we're in something you would realtor put on summary a, you know like a charming hmm. bungalow
1: hmm okay let's see Amazing finished lower level space with an attractive bar in the corner with some reclaimed wood suitable for many activities ranging from a home office to a playroom or just a relaxing space from which you could watch the game or your favorite TV show. It's <laughs> that's great,
0: that's so good. That's so good. You should be a copy editor. <laughs> Thoughts on the designated hitter in baseball?
1: Wow, boy, you talk about. You stuff could go, with,
0: Bull Durham here. Or... I
1: was gonna say you talk about something that's gonna piss off half the people no matter your answer. I liked the fact that it was unique to each league. Mm -hmm. I liked when it was interleague play that you had the designated hitter in the American parks and you made the pitchers bat in the National League parks. Uh,
0: Who's on your playlist right now? Do you have a playlist?
1: I don't really have a playlist, but I do have my favorites on Spotify. Okay. So I'm embarrassed to tell you um, John Denver's on there. I'll I'll take some heat for John Denver. Taking home country roads, Rocky Mountain High. Yeah, man almost heaven west virginia, west virginia. <laughs> you gotta edit that out because i'm a terrible singer uh darius rucker's on there for sure luke bryan i got some 80s stuff i got billy joel elton john i got some madonna um you know a Isn't lot of the, old
0: like papa don't preach or it's, like it's, vogue uh,
1: more of the older stuff more okay. of the stuff when before she got like dark and yeah you know kind of negative and pessimistic mm-hmm. you know some of her pop stuff because I find myself gravitating. If if I'm in a car, my go-to is probably the 80s channel. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. I can give it that.
1: That's my go-to. But yeah, I'd say if I had to pick like one favorite artist right now, it's probably a tie between Darius Rucker and Luke Bryan.
0: Okay. You've got treats for Emily's soccer team tonight. Do you (laughs) go with Capri Suns, juice boxes, or do you just throw caution to the wind and break out the sodas?
1: Wow. Is this Emily at 15 or Emily at nine? Nine. Nine. Probably the Capri Suns. Like clear or cherry or what? Probably the variety pack we could pick okay. up at Sam's or Costco. Okay. Yeah. I for used... us it was the little hugs, you know, after baseball oh, games. Hugs. You we know, hugs. Oh my there. god, that was sugar straight sugar. <sighs> Never tasted better when you peeled off that little foil. I do remember the foil. Well, oh yeah, and occasionally you wouldn't get it all, and you'd, you'd get some in your mouth, and yeah. like you bite down on a, on a yeah. filling, and send a shockwave <laughs> through your jaw. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> Talking again, connecting back to sports. Yeah. That, that was that was the, that was the go-to for the the dugout in the little league. For sure. Yeah
0: man. Coolest car you've ever owned or automobile. Wow. Wow. Mode of travel. We'll we'll go ahead and throw the motorcycle oh, in there boy. too because you've owned you've owned some boy, cool. Boy, th-
1: if I if I have to pick one I would probably say my H1 Hummer that I had in the early 2000s. That was gold. Yeah, it was that. That was it. Was fun because it was a. It was such a such a bucket list item yeah. for so long that I wanted to get, and then I finally got one because I could write it off. Yeah, it was my rolling billboard that I had wrapped with all I my merch stuff. And yeah. Yeah, I used to, I used to man because I didn't care what the weather forecast was. You know if it's going to snow tomorrow? I don't know. I'll be able, I'll be able to get through it. I don't don't know. know. I don't know. Don't care. I don't know, and I don't care. That, that you know, there's a there's another Darius Rucker song. Yes. I don't know, and I don't care.
0: Final question. Last one. Last one. Best advice you've ever received.
1: Wow, not not specific to any. Just best advice. It's just, I've I've had so many good mentors that. If I had to pick one, it would have been my former sales manager at my old company, Karen Schlosser. And uh, it was just very general. She's an amazing mentor and teacher and sales manager and person and realtor, just a great person that I still hold in very high esteem and consider a friend. But whenever she would teach, she'd say, hey, this is just my opinion. Take what you like and throw away the rest. Hmm. And I think that's fairly universal for Mm -hmm. as we develop our moral compasses and how we're going to respond to the take what you like and throw away the rest. And, uh, you know, as we adapt, like I, like my advice to Emily, look, I don't want you to just be a little miniature me. I want you to understand why your dad feels and thinks and does the things he does. Take what you like and throw away the rest, because I want her to be her own independent person. So take what you like and throw away the rest is probably just the most universal. Th- that in a close second is a fellow named Chris Coob, uh, who was a mentor of mine years ago, who said something similar to what your brother said, which was when faced with a decision, Usually the harder one is the one you should go for. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess the very last thing, because uh, this has been important to me, it's not really advice, it's something I read in a book, Secrets of the Millionaire Mind by T. Harv Eker. You ever okay. read it? No, uh, I am not it, a millionaire. Uh, um, if I read the book, I would be. Because you, yeah, you haven't read the book. Uh, <laughs> it's more about the mindset. and I, I think Secrets of the Millionaire Mind might turn some people off that think it's just about money, but it's okay. just about the successful mindset, which is... Whenever you come upon a crossroad, and this isn't a direct quote, but the sentiment is the same. Whenever you come up upon a major decision or a major opportunity, you generally have one or two big opportunities in your life. Mm. Whatever that is, one or two. So when you come upon an opportunity, you got to ask yourself: Is this your first or is this your last? Wow. And and so there you go. Anyway, take what you like, throw away the rest. Choose the harder path. And uh, when faced with a decision, you got to ask yourself: Is this the first or last?
0: There we go. I I, I do what I can. Do you feel like you won by playing? Oh, absolutely! Great. Yeah, that's all we needed then. So here we are. You came over about ten this morning. Yeah. It's now two thirty. Yeah. Uh, I hope you didn't. There's a lot of stuff that's not in here. Hope you didn't have another another thing to do. No, so, i made you
1: tremendously late. late If I have other things to
0: do besides (laughs) hang out with my buddies, (laughs) then I'm, I'm doing the wrong things.
1: It has been a pleasure. Thank you for uh, – I, I always feel very humble that uh, I'm just an ordinary guy uh, with an extraordinary drive, but I don't think my life's that remarkable. But have you put me on the pedestal of asking me to contribute to your podcast, that's that's pretty cool, so I'll take it as a compliment because I think it was intended as such. So thank you. <laughs> I'm glad that you took time today. Like I, sure. said, I, I
0: know that that's you are our, – our, um uh things kind of weave together in and out and who knows how long it'll be until the next time we talk but i'm sure when we do like you said with your buddy you know you can you can go pick up where we left off and and just pick right up and it's just nice to talk to a friend so i'm glad you came
1: i'm glad i came too thanks for the invitation
0: yeah buddy doug and i hung out for about six hours for this episode there's lots of discussion around a bevy of topics. But I hope what I've included here captures the essence of who Doug is and what he brings to the world. He's a sharp, sharp guy who is incredibly introspective. And During this crazy time, it was good to see him. It was good to give him a hug, and it was good just to talk his friends. I hope you're getting the opportunity to do that same thing with yours. Next week's conversation is with Mike Jones. Mike is a bedrock supporter of water polo here in Ohio. He's played, refereed, started a master's team, ran camps for high school kids, and is the co-host of a water polo podcast mostly centered around Ohio. He's coming into studio later in the evening, so there may even be a few sodas as we go. Until next time, y'all, be good to the refs. Shout out to our friend and fellow referee Adam Carroll for That's a Foul theme music. If you like what you heard today, Tell a friend where to find us and follow us on your podcast service. As always, you can find show notes and other topics covered on today's show on our website, tafpodcasts.com.